We're going to be talking about the grace of God. We're going to be talking about our wonderful Jesus this morning. And you know, the more and more I'm getting into this for my own personal self, it feels like I'm getting born again all over again. When you get a, a revelation and continue to dive deep in grace and what he has done for us, it changes your perspective of life. And that's what we're going to get into today. Because again, one of the major things that we're focusing on, you know, in the kingdom of God, we want to focus on what's a big deal to God. Right? We want to shine the light on what's a big deal to God. And sometimes it's easy, you know, church folk and just church in general, we can actually shine the light on some of these minor issues when God wants us to keep the, the light on the big things. And the big things to God is His grace. A big thing to God is Jesus' sacrifice and all that it accomplished. And another thing, a big deal to God is now that because of what Jesus has done for us, he's able to freely lavish his grace upon us without anything attaching it. Like, for example, the justice of God. Jesus, not only did we benefit from what Jesus did on the cross, and I mean, oh, we got great benefit in that. But also the Father got benefit in that too because, again, God is completely kind and merciful, yet he's just. Jesus came to satisfy the justice of God so that now God is freely able to love you and I without any strings attached. Aren't you thankful for that? That's a big deal. So what we want to do is we want to take the time to shine the big light on Jesus and what he did for us. Amen? Now, looking at this in John chapter 1, verse 16, what we see over and over again, that his fullness, we have all, what, received. Come on, say it with me. Grace after grace after grace after grace. Right? Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, and again, the law is the if you covenant. If you, then God will. If you don't, then God won't. Right? But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So from God's perspective, this grace and all that he is and what Jesus has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection is a big deal to God. And that's why we're going to spend our time focusing on it. And in fact, the word of God even tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, that it is good that our hearts be established, say with me, established in grace. Because what's the opposite? If I'm not, my heart's not established in grace, my heart's going to be established in restlessness, in fear, in frustration, because I'm not established in what he's done for me. So for you and I, this isn't just a light thing that when you talk about the grace of God, first of all, we'll never even be able to talk enough about what grace has done for us because grace is not just a subject. Grace is a man, and his name is Jesus. The depth, the width, the height, the breadth of this man is beyond even human words to try to comprehend. Just when you got, think you got a glimpse of the grace of God, guess what? There's another quadrillion billion years of knowledge that you got to get, get wrapped around your head yet. And it says actually in Ephesians 2, 7 that throughout the ages to come, guess what we're going to be doing 10 billion years from now? God is still going to be continuing to reveal to you and I his kindness of his grace towards us that he's lavished on us. This is our good God and he continues to do so. And how much now in this dark and evil world is the grace of God to be shown? to be highlighted, to be magnified. Rather than the church talk about what it's against, let's talk what it's for. We are for the grace of God going on every human being because that's what it's here for. So again, if you look at Hebrews chapter 13 there for a moment, it says this, that every heart, it's good, or do not be carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. Right? And what so easily do we get caught up in? Strange and very different doctrines. Oh, what did they say over there? Oh, I'm going to run over here. What did they say over here? I'm going to run over here. What did they say? Oh, I'm going to run over there. Oh, what is it? And we just go, da, da, da. and he's saying, hold on. 
get, it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. So rather than running from doctrine to doctrine to doctrine and doctrine, I'm going to pull some here, and all of a sudden you're a wealth of woke knowledge. You and I, it's good that we be established in what grace has already provided for us. Because grace, out of Jesus came grace, and out of grace comes the truth of what life really is. So it's good that my heart be established in this. Now again, as we said, grace is a big deal, and how we get established in it, it is a process. We need to renew the spirit of our mind to grace. When you see in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be ye transformed by the renewing of our mind. What do I renew my mind to? We say the word, but more specifically, to the word of his grace, to the message of his grace. Because when you start renewing the spirit of your mind and you start thinking how God starts seeing, man, life starts to change drastically for you and I. So we got to let our hearts become established in this grace. Now, again... Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. I want you just to show how the Apostle Paul made grace a huge deal. It was his life's call and his mission. Colossians 1, verse 6, it says, This is the wonderful message that is being spread everywhere. Aren't you thankful God didn't forget about Red Deer? Man, powerfully changing hearts throughout the earth. Just like he has changed you. Anybody been changed? All right, by hearing a message, and what message was it? You'll see it. Every believer of this good news now bears the fruit of eternal life as they experience the reality of God's what? Grace. What changes people? It's the goodness of God that leads people to change, that leads people to repentance. So the message of the church is to continue to highlight and showcase the grace of God. This is the dispensation in the age that we are still living in, is the day of grace. So is God going to hurl down brimstone from heaven to nations? No. Why? Because we are in the dispensation of grace. If he did do that, he'd have to apologize to Jesus. Right? So it's not going to happen until we out of here. So what we're doing is we're getting everybody in through the grace of God, preaching and highlighting what Jesus did on your behalf. Our message, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm giving you a lot of verses just real quick, but it says that we are ambassadors of his and God is pleading through our lips, come back to God. Because God was in Christ reconciling or bringing the world to himself. The world already knows they're off. We need to reveal to them what Jesus has done on their behalf. And that's the message. Look at this in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. The Apostle Paul, again, now he's meeting with the the leaders at the church at Ephesus. And they were meeting with him. He's now in prison on his way to Rome. And they knew this is the last time they were going to see him. And so the Apostle Paul now says these words after they just hugged. They've kissed each other. And they just are a big, you know, sad mess at the time because they knew they were never going to see Paul again. Paul was a spiritual father to these men. And now he said to them, and now... Look what his last words are. I entrust you into God's hands and the message of his grace. Why the message of his grace, Paul? Because it is all that you need to become strong. Or in other words, other translation says it like this. It's able, this message of grace is able to build you up. Say with me, build you up. Did you know that we need people? People need to be built up. And how do you do that? By condemnation, by guilting him into things? No, by the grace of God. I know it changed your life, but man, the grace of God changed my life. 
It turned me on to him. And the more and more you get revelation of how good he is, the more and more of your life you want to give. So much in the church, we talk about dedication. you got to be dedicated. you got to be dedicated. And yeah, dedication is good. But my dedication is fueled by my revelation of his goodness and his grace towards me. How can you, why are you here on a Sunday morning? You could be sleeping in and ordering from Skip the Dishes somewhere. Why are you here? Because the goodness of God led me to change and the goodness of God draws me more and more. Here's my life, God. Some of you would sleep here if you could. Hey, <laughs> hey, go back to that verse, please, guys. You can leave it up there. So now he says, I entrust you to the message of his grace, which is able or which is able to build you up, or it's all that you need to become strong. Now notice this next phrase, all. Say with me, all. All. All of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace. All. Oh, I need healing. Well, what do you need to hear? The message of his grace. What has grace already provided? See, when you get a revelation again of this, it changes you from a gimme, gimme Christian to a receiving one. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. What I'm, again, in the message Bible, paraphrasing it. Jesus, you know, he's talking about the lilies. He's talking about the uh, birds. And what he does say is, he says, what I'm trying to get you to do here is Relax. Not be pre, so preoccupied with getting that you miss out on God's giving. See, so much of the church, we're trying to get God to do something. He's already done it. So what do you and I need to do? We need to learn how to respond according to the message of grace, what has already been given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's already a done deal. So rather in this, come on, come on, it's now, thank you. So our stance has changed drastically from this place of, okay, I, I got to perform. I got to really do good things. I'm going to jump high in church. I got to worship really good. I got to do good things in order to get from God. No, he'll give in spite of what you do. But here's the thing. You and I have to learn to respond to his goodness rather than being so preoccupied in trying to get something from him. Now, all of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace, which he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all of us as his holy ones. So now remember this, grace is God's provision for everything that we need. Everything that you need, grace is the provision for it. And notice this, grace always acts first. You never act first. You are always simply a responder in this relationship. My relationship, your relationship with God is always a response to what he has already done. Right? God has already moved. You know, James 4, 8 even talks about you come close to God, then he'll come close to you. It's because he already moved 2,000 years ago. So the moment you take a step, guess what? Now he takes a step. It's like a game of chess. You take your move, God will always move. That's all you need to know. God will always move, but you have to take your step as well. So that shows the grace side, faith side. Grace gives, faith receives. Grace, grace says you're healed, faith says thank you. Grace says salvation's provided, faith says thank you. Grace says your provision in your financial area is provided, grace says thank you. It's all a response. So what are we doing? Establishing our hearts in grace so I start to change the way that I think rather than getting to receiving from what he's already given. Now, religion then is now Satan's attempt to keep me from seeing and experiencing the grace of God. It's a great tactic that he's used. It's throughout the world, a religious spirit. But not here. 
We a bunch of free people in here, are we not? And how do you know that you're living free? Well, first of all, you enjoy life. And there's a rest to it. <sighs> Something about taking a deep breath, I tell you. It's, oh, okay, it's all good. Just calm down now. All right. So now a life established in grace. If you turn with me, go to Romans chapter 5. We're going we're gonna to start here. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, it says this. A life established in grace is a life that is focused on the finished works of Jesus. So as a result, it's not focused on myself. It's not focused on the opinions of others. A life that is established in grace, we constantly put the big light on Jesus and what he's always done. So this is where, again, some mind renewal comes because we talked last week in Galatians 4 how we're being weaned off of the law Constantly going back, well, am I performing good? Am I performing good? We're moving away from that, going and starting to be completely, you know, fed by the grace of God. Okay, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. That's my basis. Okay, so I'm not looking to myself, oh, I made a mistake, so I live in condemnation for a week. Oh, man, I can't believe I did that. No, no, no. We're learning to move over into this place of grace because, again, the law is the reason why people are stuck in condemnation. Because, you know, the Bible really says you are now living free in grace, but now if you're stuck under the law, condemnation, sin, is you're going to be repeating itself regularly, right? Because there's a thing attached to it. You know, the Bible says this as well, that uh, sin or the law gives power to sin. So we're learning to move away from the bond woman, moving to the free woman, which is the grace of God. Now let's get here for a moment. Romans chapter 5. It says this, verse 12. When Adam sinned, now let's listen to these words. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience. Wasn't always here. We know that. It wasn't always here. So sin came into human experience and death was the result. And so death followed sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Verse 13, sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, verse 14 guys, even though they hadn't Uh, broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. So as you go to verse 15 here down below, you guys are going to see that there's right now two two people that the Bible identifies. Really, the whole Bible is about two men, Adam and Jesus. You are in one of the other. And how do you, you, I mean, we were all born into Adam, but how did you get taken out of Adam and put into Christ? By accepting and acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been taken out of Adam and you've been placed into Christ and now you have to get reintroduced to your new self. Because you completely knew, the Bible says you are a brand new creature. And now you have to learn to become a citizen of grace. It's a completely different way of living. So this is what we're establishing our heart in, is how to become a citizen of the grace of God that I now live in. Any wild hogs eating this morning? Are we? Okay, you're you're eating it. All right, you're just, you're quiet eaters. No smuckers in the house, so that's helpful. You know what smucking? Pet peeve. Okay, but there's grace. I'll extend grace. Verse 15, now there is no comparison. Say it with me, no comparison. No comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime, 
It's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many of, because of one man, Jesus, the Messiah, what he, now these three words, what he did for us. This is what grace is all about. He did for you. Verse 16, and this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But, everybody say, but. This gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. We're going to come back to this in a sec. Verse 17, death once held its grip. We were held in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace? And because we're held there, we continue reigning as kings in life. When you reign, sin doesn't. When you reign, addictions can't. So this is the whole purpose of grace, is so that you and I can be reigning in this life. That's what grace is here. It's here to teach you to reign victoriously in this life. Aren't you thankful for grace? God had no desire that any of his children be taken down by fear, taken down by worry, depression, anxiety. That's not of him. So what do I got to do? Learn to get my heart established in this grace so I can learn to live victoriously above all the crap that's out there. Now, looking on, continuing on, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, verse 18, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. The devil has nothing. Last verse, 19. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. So what does God want from you and I? We have to now take the focus off of ourselves and we need to put our focus onto the obedience of Christ and all that he did. What does that mean? I, again, I'm establishing my heart in grace. And established heart means is that I align my believing to what he said in his word. What is New Testament obedience? Believing. What is New Testament disobedience? Unbelief. So what's my work in the New Testament is to believe. So taking this time to really dive into these verses and establish my heart in what grace has done so I can think properly, God looks at it and goes, you're obeying. See, a lot of times, again, we've equated obeying to doing something. First of all, righteousness is about doing something. It's about believing something. Because when you believe right, you do right. This is the whole message that grace came to do. It came to change the way that you think. In this old system, this legal system that Moses brought in, it was if you do, then God will. If you don't, then God can't. So they're stuck in this mentality. But how much of it is still in the church? So what do we got to do? We got to wean off this thing, get rid of the slave woman again, Galatians 4 says, so I can completely go and look what grace has done for me, not because of me, but because of the riches of the kindness of his grace. Then I start thinking properly, therefore my actions start operating properly. Okay, now, 
Go again to Romans 5.16. We're going to go into this verse this morning. So what has grace done on my behalf? In other words, what else could we say is, what has Jesus done for me through his sacrifice? Right? Grace and Jesus are interchangeable. What is my spiritual inheritance that I've received when I came into this kingdom? Look again at 5.16. It says, this free-flowing gift imparts to us more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with the verdict, guilty. And rightfully so. But now this gracious gift, what's a gift? Do you earn it? It's a gift. It means it's been given, but it needs to be received. And the only way I can receive it is if I believe it. So again, I'm changing the way that I think. This gracious gift leaves me from our many failures. And it brings us into this perfect righteousness with God, acquitted with these words, not guilty. Do you believe you are not guilty this morning? I know you're saying that's the, that's the good answer. But are you convinced that you are not guilty? This is, we're going to just get into this a little bit. Because again, I'll tell you, when you start looking into this again, this changes everything. I'm not guilty. I hold my head up high. I can walk in confidence and boldness because I know without a shadow of a doubt, I can go before God and I'm not guilty. Let's get into this. <laughs> All right. So again, who we are identifying with, there's Adam's sin or my sin or Jesus's obedience. What am I going to focus on? Oh, but I did this. Man, I pulled up. I fought with my wife in the car before I got to church this morning. Uh, uh, uh. Or am I going to identify with what Jesus has done? This will constantly be what religion wants to do. Religion will always get the, sh the light off of Jesus, and it'll get it back on you. It'll get back on what others say. It'll get back onto what you should have done, could have done. We have to constantly fight to keep the light focused and shined on what Jesus has done and off of ourselves. Right? Okay. We're just getting established this morning. So he declares not guilty. Say that with me. Not guilty. One more time. Not guilty. Do you hear those words? Not guilty. You know, I went through some um, screen flipping this past week, and I came across, like, the, I think five or seven most heartwarming court cases of different individuals who had gone to court or wrongfully accused by, you know, different individuals. And so they were in prison. Some guy was in there for 25 years, wrongfully accused. I mean, I'm, I'm a big mess watching this thing. This guy, all of a sudden, he's, the, the verdict comes out, and we find the defendant after 25 years in prison, not guilty. He just burst into tears. He, but it wasn't just the fact, you know, like, he, I know he was wrong. He was wrongfully accused. But hearing those words, not guilty, he fell to the floor. Not guilty. You are a free man. Don't have to walk out in ch chains anymore. Don't have to walk down with this, this condemnation, this thing hanging over your head. Man, oh man. Not guilty. <sighs> now for us, not guilty means this. A total forgiveness of sin, past, present, future. Not guilty means a perfect right standing with God. Not guilty means undeserved privilege. Not guilty also means it's freedom to live a godly life free from the dominion of sin. We're going to get into that, okay? Everybody still doing okay? All right. 
Now, complete forgiveness of sin, first and foremost, we're going to get into this. The key to living with greater confidence and boldness is knowing first and foremost that your sins are forgiven. Too many believers are battling guilt, condemnation, depression, shame, because they are not confident that all their sins have been forgiven. So as a result, instead of running to God when they fail, they hide and run away from him. When the Bible clearly tells us, run to his throne room of grace where you can find help in time of need. Okay? Now, you are where? Yeah, you're here. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Spiritually speaking, when you came out of the kingdom of... We had a smart bunch this morning, I'll tell you. But you came out of the kingdom of darkness and you were brought into where? The kingdom of God's dear son. Other words, you would say you are in Christ. That's an actual place. It's an actual position. Okay? Now, I want to just go through the scriptures of what the Bible says about who you are in Christ. And here's the thing. We need to see it because God sees us this way. But it doesn't do us any good if we don't see ourselves this way. So this is where the mind renewal comes in. This is where we're going to let go of the shame. We gotta let go of some guilt, gotta let go of the condemnation, because the Father never put it on you. He never wants it on you. So you and I, we're breaking away again, weaning off of this law mentality, going, I didn't do, so I better feel this. Some people think you gotta pay for your sin. Are you kidding me? You messed up. Yeah, okay. Who hasn't sinned here? <laughs> all right, so we all need of a savior, correct? All right, so let's just keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, Ephesians 1, 7, look at this. It says, since now we are joined to Christ. Who is joined to Christ? What does that mean? You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what that means. And he is now your Lord. He's your king. He is ruler of your life. So now that we are joined to him, we have been. We're going to get to those words in a second, the Greek. I'll show you what that is. We have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood. Specifically, the total, read it together with me, the total cancellation of our sins. One more time. The total cancellation of our sins. All because of what I did. All because I did such a good job. All because of the cascading riches of his grace. He did it. But I don't deserve it. No, you don't deserve it. That would make grace grace. How much sins is attached to you? None. But what if I make some in the future? You already have forgiveness of sins. You're not waiting for forgiveness of sins. The Bible says we have been given the total cancellation of sins. So say this with me. I have been given the total cancellation of my sins. So spiritually speaking, if you could look in the spirit and you could like try to find sin, you could look around and you'd go, where did that? Where'd it go? A total cancellation. They cannot be found anymore. We have to renew our mind to that. Okay, now why is this so important for us to get? Well, we're, we're going to jump into this. I don't have to get forgiveness. I have it because I'm in Christ. And those words that we have been, in the Greek tense now, the Greek tense for this have been, is the present tense which indicates a continuing action. 
It's a continuing action. Say that with me again. Continuing action. You may go, why do I have to say it? Really, we say these things so that we start changing the way we think. Your mouth, the Bible says, is the tongue of a ready writer. How do I get things imprinted in my heart? By the words that you speak. So when you start saying these things, it's not just, well, I got to say this stuff. No, I'm saying it not to make this true. I'm saying it because it is true. And I'm saying it because my heart needs to be established in this reality that no matter what, I have total cancellation of all my sin. That's why we say it. So say it with me. I have total cancellation of my sin. It's not there. So you have to tell that because guess what? Religion's going to come up and say, yeah, but look what you did. Oh, I have been given the total cancellation of my sin. Will you feel it? Probably not. But what do you do? You keep saying it. You keep saying it until your heart is established in this reality. Capiche? All right. So the Bible tells us real quickly, Romans 6, 23. Now, how did Jesus do this? The wages of sin is death. Or in other words, the payment for sin is death. That's why for you to say, I have to pay for my sin, well, you might as well go ahead and die. Not only physically, spiritually as well. You're going to have to take the whole shebang. You might as well just go right to hell. Because you're going to have to pay for it. Can you ever pay for it? No. That's why he came. The wages or the payment for sin is death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this, According to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So because now we have to value, again, we're shining that light on Jesus. We have to know the value of who this man is. What did he do? The perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God took upon himself all of humanity's sin, past, present, future. He took it all on himself, died with it, went to hell with it. And after those days and nights that he was in, that, in, in hell, the father says justice has been served. And he rose him again. And when he raised him from the dead, did the sin come up with him? He left it there. So where is your sin? It's in hell. Don't try to resurrect it. It's down there. God said this, that this was a promise that he made. I even, I will blot out your transgressions and I will remember them no more. God has a really good memory of remembering things, but then the things that he forgets, he honestly has no clue what you're talking about. So meanwhile, we're talking about, God, I did this, I've done that. And he goes, no comprende. I have no idea what you're talking about. And we keep bringing it up to him as if like, God, you need to know the things that I did. And he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. Instead, what has he done? He's turned the grace dial up and he's turned the sin dial way completely down to the point, even to this day, did you know people aren't going to hell for sin? Oh, blasphemy. No, gospel. You don't go to hell because you're a pervert. You don't go to hell because you killed six million Jews. You go to hell because you rejected Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's why. So what's our message? Not recollecting, oh, you're a sinner, you did this, oh, you're just such a sinner, sinner. We're all sinners saved by his grace. The world needs to know that. So what do we do? We preach this gospel of what Jesus has done. Because listen, what Jesus is going to do, hey, here am I. The question is not what are you going to do with your sin. The question is what are you going to do about this man Jesus? What are you going to do about him? 
He's hanging on the cross staring you in the eye. What are you going to do? If you choose to turn and reject, stupid. That's the stupidest thing you could ever do. But those that embrace him, welcome. Total cancellation of your sins. Total cancellation of your sins. Say it one more time. Total cancellation of your sins. Why is this such a big deal? Because if he said, oh, you got to hang on to those a little bit. Oh, you made a mistake. I want you to feel shame on that for a little bit. That's not in his vocabulary. And what's it going to get you back into? The same repetitive lifestyle over and over again. Thinking shame is going to get me out. No, shame puts you further in. Grace lifts you up and moves you over into the goodness of God, which leads you to change. Now, look at what David said about Sin, those who are forgiven. Verse 7, it says this, Oh, what joy. Can you guys click it for me? Click. Oh, what joy. Joy is a verb. Oh, what joy. When you know you're forgiven, with a verdict not guilty, It doesn't matter how many people were in that room, in that courtroom again, going back to that guy. He dropped to the floor, big, big guy, huge guy, not guilty. He fell to the floor, tears started streaming down his face. I'm free, not guilty. (sighs) Oh, the joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sins are put, where? Out of sight. Verse eight, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Man, oh man, that's what he did. Now, again, on the contrary, if anyone questions if they are really forgiven, it leads to all kinds of insecurities. It leads to all kinds of fears and destructive bondages. You have to know that you know that you know. You are completely forgiven, not because of what you've done, because of him. Shining the light on what Jesus has done. Now look at this. Talk about cancel culture. Look at cancel sin right here. Colossians chapter 1. This is what I'm going to show you again this here. Colossians 1 again. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness. And he has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. Verse 14. For in the son all our sins are canceled. Come on. Say, you can say it in church. It's okay now. It's canceled. It's canceled. And we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Skip over one chapter, chapter 2, verse 14. Look again. It says this, he... Come on, y'all, this is, a fun, we can't, this, this is the time we can say it. He canceled. Not Dr. Seuss. He canceled out something else. What is he canceling? Every legal violation we had on our record... And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all. Control delete. I hate when that happens whenever you message prep. Oh, shoot, it's gone. Control the bleed. And now it can never be retrieved, meaning he'll never have it on the back burner waiting to bring it to your attention the next time you do something. Oh, it's the same. You did that last week too. You miserable. It's gone. Why? Because of what I've done? No, because of the greatness of the grace of his goodness. 
Verse 15, everything we once were, oh, sorry, this is 14 still. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed on the cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of what? Cancellation. Cancel, 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 cancel. What did he cancel? Every legal violation, every sin that came to indict us, everything that was against our record, he canceled it all, put it on the cross. Then in verse 15, I love this part, then Jesus He made a public spectacle, meaning he made fun of something. He made fun of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Now notice this part. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. What are you? Not guilty. Come on, say it with me. Not guilty. Who are you? Not guilty. Now, what are we doing? Getting our hearts established in this reality. Why? It's time that the church stops hanging its head. Just not doing good enough. That is from hell. Stop it. Who are you? Not guilty. Religion will go, but I know what you did last week. What do we do? Not guilty. Will you have feelings? Absolutely. Will they go contrary to this non guilty statement? Absolutely. So what do you do? You keep standing in the truth because the truth, once you get it on the inside, you will have it on the outside. It happens on the inside first. This is where the transformation, Paul again said to Ephesians, you need to be renewed by the spirit of your mind. That means that you're going to have to process this out. Okay? Now, I got two verses left. Is that okay? Well, two verses. I mean two places I got to go yet. So (laughs) pray for him, Lord. Pray for him. Okay. So what we need to do is we need to feed on the forgiveness of sin. Why is this so important? Because many people are sick, not because of sin, but because of condemnation. Christians. And listen, I, I come from a strong, you know, word, word household, word background. And we preach healing like nobody's business. But why is it that constantly, word churches have to constantly be teaching healing? Because there's a lot of sick folk in there. Why is that? It's not always necessarily a sin issue. It could also be a shame, condemnation issue. And I want to show you this example right here in Mark chapter 2. We're going to read this real quick because I got a few minutes. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even inside the house. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. (laughs) They couldn't bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down. Now you got to picture this. This is like somebody right now. Like this, this, we're we're pretty, we're tight, right? We're, We're close. Thank you for showering. It's greatly appreciated. But now, all of a sudden, just imagine at this moment, somebody cutting a hole through our beautiful roof, and now rain is pouring in here. But you see all of a sudden four heads. He's down there. Bring him in. They carry this guy. They lower this paralyzed man. What do you think of a paralyzed guy? Now you lay down and just, here I am, Right? Okay, a little bit left, a little bit left. Okay, now he lays down in front. Now there he is in front of Jesus. Now seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, 
Be healed of your paralysis. Paralyzed man, get up! Jesus knew something about this man that nobody else knew. What did he know? Jesus knew that this man needed to be free from the condemnation of his sin before God. When you see the forgiveness of sin, healing comes right along with it. At this point, he said, my child, do you just hear these words? This is covenant talk. My child, your sins are forgiven. Why would he say that? He needs to be healed. Like we need a miracle here. This guy's paralyzed. Maybe his spine is busted up. We got to pray for the spine. Everybody get your hands on the spine. A lot of times, no, you got to wait. Let the spirit of God tell you what needs to happen. Right. right here, what took place? Jesus listening to the spirit of God saying, hey, there's something that's going on. Your sins are forgiven. When that man heard that, when you hear the not guilty, what just came off? Whatever it was holding him, binding him, just that struggle. The moment he hears, son, your sins are forgiven. The paralysis was lifted at that moment. Verse 6, but some of the teachers of religious law, of course, religion, stinking religion. Teachers of the religious law who were sitting through their thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Do you hear people talking like this? Oh, man, regularly. What is he saying? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Now, I love this verse 9. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? I love how you didn't say, which one's more difficult? Which one is easier? Because the same way, in the same price it took for, to forgive your sins, is also the same price that it took for you to get healing in your physical body. In Jesus' eyes and mind, they're one and the exact same. So what does he say? You're forgiven. That needed to take place first. So I'm going to prove to you, verse 10, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up. Now listen, a paralyzed man who'd never walked before. Never walked before. What did he encounter? The grace of God. And what did grace say to him? You are not guilty. You are forgiven completely. And I think his back just went, snapped right back into place. The man jumped up, never in his life, picked up his mat and walked out onto the, the stunned onlookers. And everybody there went, what just happened? Not guilty. A revelation of not guilty just hit this man. And what happened, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. No, you haven't, because if you get stuck in religion, you have to take these eight steps to get this. I'm not against it. All that stuff is, there's great, and it has a place to it, but you can't replace steps with relationship. So what I'm hearing from him, son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, that just took steps one through seven right out the door. Now what do I do? Thank you. <laughs> it changes everything. Can you see this? This makes Christianity simple. And listen, we need it simple. And the last verse that I have, it's real simple. I love this. Psalm 103, verse 2. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Thank you, Wyatt. May I never forget the good things that he has done for me. What are the good things he's done for me? That's his grace being extended towards you and I. What did he do? He forgives all my sins. What else did he do? And he healed all 
my diseases. So what are we doing? We're shining the big light on Jesus. We're putting the emphasis on what he has done and on who he is. You and I, we are a free people. So when you leave this morning, go with your head held high. Forget about what happened yesterday. Don't worry what's going on in the present. We keep our heads high looking at this thought. I am not guilty. Can we just stand up together for a moment? Let's just receive that this morning. Not guilty. Not guilty. Come on, just on the inside. Let's just close our eyes here for a moment. Father, we receive this word. And Lord, I just want to lift up every individual in this room in the mighty name of Jesus that these words, not guilty, would ring strong and loud on the inside of them, Jesus, because of what you did for us. We are free, whole, well, of a sound mind, depression-free, anxiety-free, worry-free. Why? Because I'm not guilty. Let's say this together. While you're Just have a hand in the air. Just say this after me. In the name of Jesus, I am free. I am not guilty. I am a child of the Most High God. I am free in His grace. I am more than an overcomer. I am loved by my God. I'm loved by my Father. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper because my righteousness is from Him. I'm free. I'm whole. I'm well. Depression? Now listen, you talk to this thing. Depression? Leave. Because I'm free. Confusion? Leave. Because I'm not guilty. Shame? Get out now. In the name of Jesus. Because I'm not guilty. Thank you, Lord. We receive that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, isn't he good? Man, oh man. Well, y'all, we love you so much. There's so much more that we could say.